You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Illustrated, Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality, and Christian Miller, a national championship-winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. I read it to my players, and I read it every now and then. But I'm going to tell you, every day of my life, I read it. And I think it's been very, very, very important to me. I'm going to read it now. I'll read it again tonight. I'll share it with you if you give me a minute. This is the beginning of a new day. God has given me this day to use as I will. I can waste it, or I can use it for good. What I do today is very important because I'm exchanging a day of my life for it. I can't up here more back hurting this morning. I'm saying that for a day of my life. When tomorrow comes, this day will be gone forever, leaving something in its place I have traded for it. I want it to be gain, not loss, good, not evil, success, not failure, in order that I shall not forget the price I paid for it. And I want to thank Mr. Tram Session if he's the one who sent me that, because that's terrific. That keeps me going every day. It is okay to be so stressed and overwhelmed that you feel like you need to... Welcome into Big Noon Sports. Appreciate you dialing us in. What you heard was a was Paul William Bryant, who it's just very difficult for me to believe. It's been 40 years. He passed away actually at about this time, a little earlier in the morning, January 26, um, 1983. Wow. Uh, and I know a lot of folks have been talking about this on our affiliate Tide 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa. As a matter of fact, I was listening to Gary Harris had a fantastic interview with Keith Pugh, who, Pugh, who is a wide receiver, now minister, uh, due in large part to the advice of, of Paul Bryant. But uh, it's one of those days that if you were here, you remember exactly where you were. I certainly do, and I'm going to leave the show and, and tell you what happened. I don't know if I've shared this with this audience. I've shared it with my audiences for the past literally 40 years. But it was impactful on my life. It was impactful in this state. It was impactful on the nation. Uh, Bryant coached in the Liberty Bowl in December of 82. And he was once quoted as said if he ever, ever stopped coaching, that he'd, uh, I think, croak in a month, something like that. Now, that's his quote. I am not being disrespectful at all. Believe me, when it comes to Paul William Bryant, I would be the last person to do that. But... Uh, and he died. Uh, he had a heart issue on the 25th. He was admitted to Druid City Hospital that evening. Uh, we received a report. This is when I was at Channel 13, WVTM, right here in Birmingham. All of a year and some change in television sports reporting. 
Um, but Tom Roberts let us all know the night before that he was being hospitalized with a heart condition, but uh, everything seemed stable at the time. So the very next morning, uh, I went into the office, and um, there was David Morris, best videographer in the history of television, and um, we're sitting there, you know, filing some video, just doing our, our regular morning routine, getting ready for the 11 o'clock news, and um, the, you know, how the long phone lines were back in the dial phone eras. Uh, the last one blinked, and that meant it was, you know, it was in-house, and it was Tom Roberts. And uh, I picked up the phone. I said, what's up, TR? And he said, uh, Coach Brian's taking a turn for the worse. Sky 13's going to meet you in 10 minutes at the pad. Whoa. Whoa. So I hung up the phone, and David Morris had kind of heard it, and he was already out the door and headed to Unit 4 in our parking lot. David was always so so prepared that all we had to do was just go get in the car. There was no loading of gear. He was ready to go. He had all his batteries, the cameras, a tripod, the whole deal. So uh, we just stunned, get into the car, and we drive to the helipad, which is about five minutes from the television station. And we pull up. Chopper, chopper lands about the time we get there. And we get into the helicopter, and we start towards Tuscaloosa. And by helicopter, Tuscaloosa is about 15 minutes from Birmingham. And so, you know, we get airborne, get up to about 1,500 feet, and we're cruising right along. And here comes Tom Roberts in my headset. He said, base to Sky 13. Of course, I said, Sky 13, go ahead. And um, he says, Matt, uh, Coach Bryant's died. And all of us in the helicopter, Danny Townley, David Morris, and myself, could hear that. And nobody said anything. I mean, we all just stared around for like five minutes. Didn't know what to say. We knew what we had to do. But we just looked ahead. And in, in total shock. So we land right across the street from Druid City back in that day 40 years ago. There was a state trooper satellite office and it had a helipad but that helipad is meant for one thing and one thing only that's the state trooper helicopters in in emergency situations but we just said this is too big so we daddy dropped the skids right there on their helipad and by the time i could even get my door open there were about eight state troopers who had run out of the building and they were all they didn't they were all standing there telling us not to land not to land but we landed anyway and they were not happy and, and I, as i can imagine i mean here's a television helicopter landing on the state trooper helipad uh but the minute our skids hit the turf there i jumped out of the door uh the bell jet ranger of sky 13 and i ran immediately to the first officer i could get to and i said could we please land here? And I, I remember well enough when I tried to say it, and I may do it again right now, but I, I said, Officer, uh, Coach Bryant's died. He said, shut it down, stay here all day. And that we did. And uh, David Morris and I, people in Tuscaloosa at that time had heard that he'd been hospitalized, but they didn't know it was dire. But when they see him, you know, we're, we're right across the street, Druid City. You know, you got to go across 
four, five, six lanes at university to get to the hospital from that pad, which was across the street. So David and I get out of the helicopter, and we've got gear, and I'm running with a tripod, and people just stop because they fear the worst, and they were right. And the entire traffic, uh, this is, you know, just before lunch, in Tuscaloosa. A lot of traffic in that area. You know that. You've been in Tuscaloosa. You're listening right now. You may be at that intersection. So we start cutting across, and we don't need to dodge traffic. All lanes of traffic had stopped, and I guess, you know, it just happened by chance, maybe divine intervention. There was a perfect path for us to cut across all six lanes, and people were getting out of their cars, and they knew. I think the first guy got out of his car and yelled at me, and he said, has Coach Bryant passed away? And I said, unfortunately, yes, sir. He put his head down in his car. People were just stopped. They were getting out of their cars. They were putting their heads on top of the hoods and just crying. And um, we just cut across there and got to the hospital. They had a news conference set up for downstairs, and David Morris and I went downstairs and um, as far as I know, uh, I think we were the first team there. Um, but all that dude, in fact, Tom Roberts, uh, had unbelievable contacts, as you might well know, at the University of Alabama. And it was the most memorable moment I've ever had. I don't know. Other than the birth of my children and a few other things, it, it's way up there. But obviously the biggest story I'd ever covered and I will just fast forward. The next couple of days were nothing but a blur. Um, it was uh, just fast pace news, news, news. And I'll close this particular story by sharing this with you. It was also extremely difficult uh, because you were giving people information about their beloved Paul William Bryant. But at the same time, I'd lived in Alabama for uh, all, well, I'm, we moved here when I was three. So I lived in Alabama all my life. I was an Alabama guy. I was a coach, Paul Bryant. So you had to learn in that particular time to separate that from what you've got to do as a news reporter. And I, I will say that I think I did that, but I know one thing for damn sure. The Channel 13 newsroom responded in kind and it was some of the best television I've ever been a part of. So there you go. There is my story dating back. And it's almost like I'm looking at the clock now. It's almost to this time because I remember we we did the we did the news conference with the announcement. We immediately went over to Paul Bryant Hall and interviewed some of the players. And man, you want to talk about tough? That was tough. Because in many cases, I was breaking the news to them. Um and then we got back in, in uh, Sky 13 and went back to Birmingham. And, uh, because I was there, I had the lead story for uh, the 5, 6, and 10. It's quite memorable. And I know that the people, you folks listening to this show, that were here then, 40 years ago, uh, if you were here, you remember exactly what, when, where, how, what you were doing. Uh, and if you don't, everybody that lives in this state, everybody really in, in college football and, and in sports to a to a wide degree. Uh, everybody knew who he was, loved him, 
and, and David Housel, the long time. I mean, David Housel to me is is Auburn, but uh, there was a rivalry there. But there was an immense respect from all around the state and all around the country for Paul William Bryant from Morrow Bottom, Arkansas. Tommy Wilcox was a part of that last team, the 1982 team, and he is going to join us in a minute as uh, we roll on. Big Noon Sports. Uh, Kristen Miller will join us in just a second. Also in the second hour, we'll be joined by Fairhope Alabama's own, yes, the mixter, Mick Gillespie, will be with us, and I'm sure he has some thoughts on Paul Bryant. And if you do, uh, at 1230, after we talk to Tommy Wilcox, we'll open up phone lines and let you share your memories. And if you were... You know, if you're 40-plus, where were you at the time you heard it? And I'd like to know, who, who'd you hear it from? The media? Did you hear it from uh, a friend? Somebody call you? Goodness gracious, there wouldn't. I think we might have had beepers then, but uh, there were no cell phones. Anyway, that's my take on what happened on this date 40 years ago, January 26, 1983. Tommy Wilcox on the other side of this break on Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Want to know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today. At Julio Jones Kia and Mazda, we want to set the record straight. Yes, the University of Georgia won the national title, and congrats to Coach Kirby Smart. Clear with the low at 29. Tomorrow is sunny day, the high 55, and for Saturday, partially sunny with a high at 59. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 47 degrees in Tuscaloosa. We didn't know the times were lean. Around our house, the grass was green. It didn't seem like things were all that bad. I bet we walked a thousand miles, chopping cotton and pushing plows, and learning how to give it all we had. As life went on and years went by, I saw the light in Daddy's eyes and felt the love in Mama's hands. Welcome back they to Big Noon Sports. Matt Coulter, along with Christian Miller, Joe, Josh, and Aiden are here as well. We are attempting to hook up with Tommy Wilcox, and we will very shortly. Christian Miller is in our uh, studios there in Tuscaloosa. Christian, how are you today? Doing well, Matt. How's it going? Uh, it's, it's going well. Um, you certainly uh, were, were not around 40 years ago when Paul Bryant died, but I know you've heard of him. I mean, he, he's legendary. He's all over campus, whether it's a street sign or a bust or a statue or or his museum which is incredible and uh, i want to get your thoughts on paul bryant but first let's go i guess he's still in louisiana let's go with number 15 tommy wilcox all-american university of alabama national champion and a member of coach bryant's last season uh tommy you and i don't talk very much anymore but uh how are you man i'm doing good man hey i'm i'm still in tuscaloosa I, I haven't moved back home, so I'm still hanging around. So you're hosting your TV show out of Tuscaloosa. I'm not sure I knew that. that yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Um, 
I want to talk about that show in a minute, but let's talk about what happened 40 years ago. Can you give me the who, when, where, why, who told you, and uh, your your reaction when you heard Coach Bryant had passed away? Well, um, I remember being on the practice field. Uh, I was out doing some extra running because it's not as big as it was today, but they still did have a little combine. Uh, some people were fixing to come into town in about two weeks, some professional uh, scouts and stuff. And I was actually uh, working out on the practice field. And um, I've, I, I don't remember who was coming out there, but somebody came out there and told me. And it was just like uh, I, I couldn't uh, – it just didn't register, you know. Because we, you know, we we had been around, and we we, you know, he had been in a hospital a couple other times, but he'd always, you know, bounce back or whatever, and uh, so it was, uh, it was very surprising. I didn't see it, and the more I talked to other players, they didn't see it either. So uh, we just we just didn't realize he was that sick, you know. None of us did. Go ahead, please, Christian. Go ahead. I just was going to ask, you know, as a player, you know, what kind of impact did he have on your life? I know playing for Coach Saban, um, he's had a tremendous impact on my life and the things that I've learned from him and continue to learn from him. Um, so I'm just curious, what are some things that you learned from Paul Bear Bryant um, during your time as a player for him? I think, uh, you know, you mentioned Coach Saban, and I think they both, you know, they have some things that they they do the same, and it's. You know, it's been successful for both of them. But uh, I think Coach Bryan and Coach Saban, uh, I'm sure you'll agree with me, they held you accountable. They expected you to do the right thing on the field. They expected you to do the right thing in the classroom and off the field. And if you didn't do what they expected of you and you didn't give 100%, there were consequences. And uh, because they do that, and 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 the players know that, you know, you 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 tend to work hard and try to give it your best and never quit and go to class and you know do the things you're supposed to do that successful people do, and uh, that's one of the things I like about Coach Saban. He he reminds me a lot of Coach Brian in that area. He held you accountable, and uh, buddy, if you weren't playing right, there was. They was hell to pay when you got back in that locker room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tommy, when was the first time you met Coach Bryant face-to-face? How impactful was that? First time I met Coach Bryant in person, they were playing Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl, and they were practicing at old Tulane Stadium. Matt, uh, I know you remember the old Tulane Stadium. I do. And I do. and uh, and Alabama was practicing out there. And uh, my high school coaches brought me, and we went out there. And of course, you know, I was scared to death. My coaches were scared to death. And Sam Bailey, you know, met us and brought us on the field. And. Uh, that's the first time I met him, and it was he was as big in life as I, I, I thought he was going to be. Just a big guy. Uh, you couldn't understand him, 
uh, but I just <laughs> smiled. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they had a heck of a team that year, too, you know, so. Do you have any favorite memories with uh, Coach Bryan or, or one that sticks out in particular? The one that sticks out the most to me, and I, it's embarrassing to me, I'm ashamed of it, uh, but but it, it it it's made the most impact in my life. Uh, I, after my freshman year, was not going to come back. And I was homesick. I was, uh, wasn't mature enough. Uh, and I wasn't coming back. And uh, I had let Bobby Marks know that. And I'd missed like three or four days of practice already, two days. And Coach Bryant, just with him himself and two pilots, he flew down and basically got me. And uh, and we agreed that I was coming back up. And um, now when I came back, there was hell to pay. I was on every scout team known the man, and you know, and, and uh, but he get, you know he he came down and saved my life. He he came down and gave me a second chance. And I'd have never probably graduated college. I probably wouldn't have never been on the national championship team. I wouldn't have been an All-American. I wouldn't be successful in business. Because right then, I, I, I became a man. And, and still to this day, I think about what the greatest gift was given to me in my life. It was him coming back down there to get me. And... Um, and he didn't have to. There was enough great players on that team, and he didn't have to. But he seen something in me, and I was, I'm so glad to this day that he, he gave me a second chance. And uh, and I'll always be so grateful for that. You know, uh, I think that's a perfect example, and particularly when you say, yeah, there were a bunch of other defensive backs that were pretty darn good, too. But it's a perfect example of how Coach Bryant certainly had the importance of football. But he had Tommy Wilcox in his in his heart. Tommy Wilcox, the the future super outdoor TV host, um, which he was able to do with I, virtually every player I've ever known that was on Coach Bryant roster says the very same thing that he genuinely cared about you as a person. And I guess you just you just kind of put a magnifying glass on that, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that is, uh, now everybody was scared to death of him. Even, I think even his assistant coaches were, but, but he generally cared about his players. And I'll tell you, he had a rule and Matt, you've probably heard this before, but there wasn't any time if, if, if he was in his office and you were a player and you wanted to talk to him, he, he said that you, the only, thing to give him three minutes so that if anybody in that that he has in the office, whoever it is, he can let them know that he has a player waiting and to get them out of there. But And he would see you. And there was times I went in and did see him, you know, about things. But he, he generally cared about people. Uh, he, he If you did what you were supposed to do on the football field and in the classroom, I don't think there's there's anything he wouldn't do for you. And, and I don't mean you have to be an All-American. I mean, I know he, he did things for players. I know. I've, I've heard about it. 
uh, helping you and and uh, what, setting up interviews, you know, helping get jobs and, and stuff like that. He he done that for a lot of people with asking nothing in return. He did it because he appreciated what you did for him and and yourself and and that's just the kind of person he was and and the biggest thing is if he told you he would do something he did it uh, that that's one thing that's lacking in this world today you don't have people's word doesn't mean what it used to mean and uh that's something all that's another thing that I'll always take with him try whatever you say try to back it up because that that's what he did and that's what he'd expect of any of his former players did he keep up with you after you finished at alabama well you know i he died uh you know my last year was the liberty bowl game yeah so so he died you know he died what a, a, not even a month maybe it was about three weeks or something like that so, you know, and that's something yeah. that I could have, I wish I could have bounced off of him because, you know, the USFL came out that year and they were paying more money than the NFL. And, and, you know, I was, you know, so, I mean, there was things like that. And I wound up making a big mistake in my life by, by going to the USFL because of the money they were paying twice as much. And I really just broke my body down because we played, you know, 12 games in college. And then I had to go play 18 back to back, you know, within the same year. So it was, it was really tough on my body and I don't think it ever recouped. But, you know, things like that, I wish I could, I could have, could have ran by him because he was like a second daddy to everybody. One of the things I always ask you guys, because I've asked Benny, God rest his soul, what a good guy, yeah. Jim Bob, and a great. You guys yeah. were all, rec- oh God, what great people! Seriously, you guys were all recruited as quarterbacks, right? And then Coach Bryant said, "Hey, uh, Tommy, I want you to play secondary." What? How was your reaction to that? Well, uh, at first it was, you know, uh, he redshirted me the the first year. He redshirted everybody, but I think Benny and. Maybe Benny and Jim Bob might be the only two he didn't redshirt, but he redshirted the majority of us, and and uh, maybe ninety percent, ninety five percent of that that crew. So that you know that next year is when I wasn't coming back, and then you know he got me back, and I I just wanted to play, and you know I had I was the dummy quarterback on. For those years, I was there at Alabama in my red shirt year, and they beat me to death, you know, Marty Lines, Wingo. I mean, it was child abuse the way they – they. so, I mean, it was uh, – it was – I wanted to play. And when I came back, he gave me the opportunity to either be a backup to Stedman Shealy or start for him on defense. And I chose, you know, that I wanted to play and, and – so, so he he gave me the opportunity to win that job, and uh, and then the rest is history, you know. What a joy it's been to catch up with you. Um, I owe you. Uh, I'm gonna come over to Tuscaloosa and let you cook me some venison. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have some beer venison. That's for sure. 
I know you will. Tommy, tell everybody about your show, how they can watch, and any information that might guide them to Tommy Wilcox Outdoors. Okay, Tommy Wilcox Outdoors. Uh, you can find me on the web, TommyWilcox.com. Uh, I'm on WVUA out of uh, television out of uh, Tuscaloosa every Sunday at 3 o'clock p.m. Or the best way to get me, go to YouTube, type in Tommy Wilcox Outdoors. All my shows are streamed on that. You can watch anything you want to watch by just putting in Tommy Wilcox Outdoors on YouTube. Awesome. Tommy, next time I'm in Tuscaloosa, I'm calling, all right? All righty, Matt. Thank you, man. You bet. Thank you. Um, Tommy Wilcox, All-American, national champion, and one heck of a guy. And whoa, what an outdoorsman. Uh, if you hunt or fish, you probably already know about his show. All right, uh, pushing the max here as far as getting a break. When we get back, we'll talk about some of the other things that are going on in the world of sports. And Alabama did the whew last night at Coleman Coliseum. Sometimes I get a good feeling. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Left corner three. Got it. Alabama picks up where it left off on Sunday with a three-point. Your Alabama women's basketball team returns to Coleman Coliseum on Sunday, January. Glass, just basically, I mean, we didn't. There's nothing profound. We just said we got to play harder. Like this, we told you at the beginning, told you coming in as a hard playing team. You know, if you don't play harder than them, it, it, your team that can beat you. Shoot, we're down seven. You know, we could easily been down ten if Tom didn't hit that three at the end of the half. But I thought our guys did play harder in the second half. So it was not. There was no. There was no real major adjustments, to be honest with you. We, you know, I thought offensively we did a little bit better job, although we had four turnovers in the first four minutes of the second half, so it didn't look like we did much better. But I, I, I thought we were able to score off our defense a little bit. We did a little bit better job with some of the switch attacks in the second half, too. So. There you have it. That's Nate Oates uh, at Coleman Coliseum last night after Alabama came from behind to defeat Mississippi State. Boy, what a nasty group of Bulldogs they turned out to be last night. The final was 66-63. to 63. Christian, I don't know if you win or not, but I'm assuming that you probably watched a lot of the basketball game. Just your thoughts on uh, a struggling Alabama team against a, well, a, uh, what's a, a very inspired Mississippi State team. Yeah, you know, I think... Uh, some of those, you know, games where you have to really get it out the mud and you have to fight your way out of it and and really persevere. I think those are crucial. They're of great uh, significance because um, you're going to have those type of games, especially later on in the season. And, and I'm referring to you know football, but um, that is one and the same. You know, it translates to basketball as well. And so I think it actually. Um, was a great experience for those guys to kind of get the experience of, you know, fighting um, to come back, being down, you know, and not playing your best, but still finding a way to win the game. Um, I think that's going to prove to be very beneficial for them um, because I look at times where, you know, I've, I was on football teams here 
and we were just you know steamrolling everybody and then we'd get down later in the season and we hadn't really had those type of matchups where we really had to uh, go back and forth and, and really um, dig deep and, and really you know finish um, at the last second and it was one of those things where yes we were capable of it but it would have probably been nice to have that experience early on in the season right so I think they could use this as an opportunity to learn and grow from it and I think um, even though it wasn't uh, their, their greatest performance I think there's a lot of key things that they can take away and uh, move forward with Christian let me just sincerely thank you because that's exactly what it should be uh, your observations are oddly enough a lot like mine you need one of these you right. need to get knocked in the mouth and you need to figure out how to get back up off the canvas and somehow some way win a basketball game that's right and that's exactly what Alabama did and um, I'll be honest with you, I've listened to some shows this morning, and people are going, Chicken Little, Chicken Little, the tide is falling. Oh, my gosh, they've been exposed. Can they rebound? Can they shoot? Can they get the threes? And they're going like, oh, Alabama's gone from number two to being number two. Excuse me. That's funny, but it's not very nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I just, I, I was about to pull my hair out. Thank you, Christian, for settling me down and realizing that there are a lot of people that know exactly what you just said. And um, do you, I will ask you this, though. In a situation like that, um, what's it like at halftime, first of all? Well, again, I'll speak on you know my experience with football, but as an athlete, usually if you're a competitive team, which I really believe these guys are a competitive team, there should be you know the leadership stepping up in that locker room. You should have your leaders you know being vocal really uh motivating guys but also holding guys accountable if some guys were you know falling short of of doing their job you need to have those leaders say say hey you know you need to be accountable we need to rebound better you know we need to we need to shoot the ball better we need to you know just play better defense whatever it is you need to have those leaders stepping up in that moment and really getting your guys going um there should be a lot of again encouragement it's not like you're talking down on anybody but you're just doing it in a manner of say, hey, that's not that's not our standard, and we need to go out the second half, and we need to pick it up and play how we know we can play. Because um, just like everybody else knows, these guys know what they're capable of. You know, they've been playing phenomenally all year. And so it's one of those things where, look, you know, basketball is a little bit different from football. So basketball, you're going to have a, a night where you might not be shooting as well. You're going to have a night where, you know, you're just a little off. But that's those are the moments when you have to find a way uh, to, to, to pull it out um, of the mud and, and, and really make something happen. And, and you, you need your playmakers to step up. And if those guys aren't, you need your, your, your depth guys to step up, which Alabama has. They have big-time playmakers, and they have a lot of depth pieces. So you just got to count on guys to be um, reliable and, and to, to step up when it matters. And, and again, you always use these type of games as learning lessons, and I truly think it's an opportunity to learn from, and I think it will – benefit them in the long run it's not something to start saying oh lord here we go um they're starting to be exposed i, I don't think it's that you know nobody's perfect right you know they're not going to play a perfect right. game every single time they step on the court so i think it's all about perspective in this situation matt i also think that in a lot of cases like this and i may be a little guilty of it uh just immediately start talking about what alabama didn't do i think you gotta recognize what mississippi state did do I mean, they took the fight to the tide, and they were able to pound the ball inside early, and every time you thought Alabama was going to make a, a run, even though they're at Coleman Coliseum, the Bulldogs just kept fighting back and fighting back. And uh, they were able to move the basketball around, and I think I counted five wide-open layups or dunks. 
uh, against a very good Alabama defensive team. And I think also Mississippi State was able to do something that not many teams have been able to do, and they extended their defense beyond the arc. And they made Alabama work for their threes. And as a consequence, Alabama shot less than 18% from three-point range. So um, as we go to break, I, I just think it's very, very important, Christian, to note that you know there was another team out there, and you, you may look at their record at 12-8 uh, and 1-7 and seven in the SEC. Uh, they would have, Don't you think they'd have beaten a lot of teams last night? Oh, well, the way they played, they looked like they could beat a lot of teams. And, and again, that's why I don't like necessarily looking at at you know teams' records or what they've necessarily done previously. Because like Coach Saban says, you know, you shouldn't be able to tell uh, in your preparation the opponent that you're facing. Because again, these guys are scholarship guys. They're in the SEC. I mean, they have talent. They might not be as talented as you. But, you know, these guys also know how to play basketball, right? So you can't just show up and just expect to win. You have to go out there and treat every opponent the same. It's like that in every sport. Even if, if you're, you're a boxer, you can go out there and try to box somebody who, you know, has a pretty bad record. But if you don't come prepared and you don't have your guard up, you can get knocked out. Same thing in football, same thing in basketball. So always respect your opponent. Don't pay attention to the record and always stick to your standard. And don't swallow the rat poison. That's right. All right. There you go. <laughs> A uh, couple other notes on basketball. Auburn was uh, was not good last night. Uh, let's just put it that way. Uh, meanwhile, a huge win for Patrick Ewing. And when I heard the stat concerning the Hoyas last night, my jaw literally hit the coffee table. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. A national championship team covering a national championship team. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now, but I really enjoy it. Scalusa weather. A mixture of clouds and sunshine this afternoon. Tuscaloosa's high very close to 50. We go below freezing tonight, clear with the low at 29. Tomorrow is sunny day, the high 55. And for Saturday, partially sunny with a high at 59. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 47 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Christian Miller, Matt Coulter on Big Noon Sports. Lars taking a day off. A couple of basketball notes uh, for you here. Um, man, Texas A&M. Aggies jumped on Auburn and never let go. I kept thinking Auburn, the Tigers, Bruce Pearl, my man, Wendell Crane, their junior, they're going to make a run. They never did. Uh, as a result, Texas A&M defeated Auburn and then some. By a score of 79 to 63, that ended the nation's longest home winning streak at 28, which Auburn obviously previously held. So uh, Auburn picks up their second loss in league play. And the standings are Alabama 8-0, Tennessee is 7-1. They they just smacked Georgia around last night. A and M with a win, they're six and one. Then you go to the two loss team. There's just one. It's Auburn. Um, and as I was just looking at the standing, I just made this observation. There are four Southeastern Conference basketball teams, and we are just shy of the midway point that only have one win. Another note, and this is from Hoyaland, Georgetown defeated DePaul 81-76. to What is significant about that? That is the first Georgetown 
Big East win since March 2nd, 2021. How's Patrick Ewing held on to his job this long? I really don't know. But uh, 29 straight losses in league play, and last night they finally dumped DePaul. Christian, we started the show talking about Paul Bryant. Um, and I'm, I pretty much just jumped in there and dominated for the most part. I enjoyed the conversation with Tommy Wilcox. And I, we all realized that uh, the only thing you would have is memories or stories that someone's told you. But you can't walk around campus in Tuscaloosa without, without seeing things concerning the love of Coach Bryant. Uh, did you hear my, Did y'all talk about it at Alabama? I mean, you're right in the middle of making national championship runs in the Nick Saban era. Uh, that is so generation and a half behind you. Was Coach Bryant talked about much? And I, I'm very curious of whether or not you and your father, Corey, talked about him. I'll be honest. I had no clue who he was until I got here. I know people are going to be mad about that, but um, I didn't. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I know. But uh, we didn't really, you know, I'll be honest. We didn't really talk about him too much within the building. We kind of were focused on our team and our, you know, our our task at hand um so it's you know nothing against him is really we didn't really talk about anybody else except us and i know that sounds kind of conceited and and whatnot but that's that was always our focus we just focused on who we were playing that week we focused on um you know the goals we wanted to accomplish as a team and 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 then what we had to do to, to accomplish those things so that was primarily our focus honestly um you know coach Saban told stories about you know like, you know, he'd give us, like, motivational kind of stories sometimes. Uh, it would be on Friday when we're in a team meeting before we do our walkthroughs. Um, but most of the time, those were, you know, stories about um, sports figures that he kind of, you know, he felt would uh, relate to us and that could, you know, offer a message to us going into a game. So, like, he used to always tell stories about Buster Douglas, um, similar things cool. like that. Um, so not really uh, too much about Coach Brian, however – you know, if you live in Tuscaloosa, you know, you're on campus, you'll quickly find out who he is and, and what he means um, to the people here because he truly is sentimental to so many people. Um, he, he clearly um, affected so many people, not only with his accomplishments, but just him as a man. And um, anybody who had run-ins with him or, you know, had experience with him have nothing but positive things to say about him. You know, he clearly uh, was a polarizing figure and uh, – and, and just demanded the utmost respect out of everyone um, that he came into contact with. So um, I've learned so much more about him since coming to school here. But, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, like I said, growing up in South Carolina, I didn't really know too much about him. Um, I also didn't really, you know, watch Alabama too much until I was, you know, later on in high school. So me and my dad never really had conversations about him. But like I said, once I got to campus, you know, you start seeing the statues and the museums. And uh, you start running into people, especially fans. You, you hear so much about Coach Bryant because um, there's a lot of you know parallels between him and Coach Saban. You know, and, and uh, it, it, it is it's it's pretty cool to see that you know Coach Saban has has come here. You, know, you already had a coach like Coach Bryant, and and I'm sure people never thought in their right mind they'd ever see the success uh, here at Alabama that he had because it truly was remarkable. But then to have Coach Saban come here. And to do what he's done in his time here, it, it truly is special. And, and I do take pride in playing for Coach Saban, who is also a very iconic figure similar to Coach Bryant. 
I don't think you're selfish at all, and the proof's in the pudding. Y'all are winning national championships, so I, th- I think that that's uh, easy enough said. Um, I remember distinctly uh, the day of his funeral. Um, we were, of course, covering it for Channel 13 here in Birmingham, but um, the Bryant, which is, I guess is now Paul Bryant Drive, is that 15? Josh, help me here. What's Paul Bryant that runs right by the stadium? What's the name of that road? Yeah, I think it's I think Paul it's Bryant. Bryant. Yeah, it's Paul Bryant. It really yeah. goes past it the complex, up. football complex, to the stadium, I think. Yes. Yes, it does. But uh, his funeral was downtown, and um, then the procession went straight through Tuscaloosa and all the way to Birmingham because he's here in Birmingham at Elmwood Cemetery. Uh, and I was right, I covered a portion of uh, right there in front of uh, Bryant-Denny Stadium. It was 10-15 deep on the side of the road, on each side of the road. All the way to the hospital, which is a couple of miles easy, isn't it? And then you got on the on 5920, started headed to Birmingham. The overpasses were absolutely packed with signs, and people were just emotional and crying all the way to his final resting place. It was a remarkable time, and we'll talk uh, about this a little bit more next hour. We're also going to be joined by Mitch Gillespie. And uh, we'll talk about all things Alabama and some baseball, too. We're going to get that in. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. It's coming up on 1 o'clock. I'm attorney Stephen Mizrano. We've all heard those lawyer ads. We're a local law firm. Call me. Call me. What should I do? Ask to speak to the person on TV. Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. You just heard it, Big Noon Sports, Christian Miller, Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson. Lars taking the day off. He's also uh, teaching. So he'll be uh, headed over to uh, Reese Pfeiffer uh, here in just a little bit, those of you listening. And uh, our students, students of his, uh, let me just tell you this. You're lucky. Uh, talking extensively because it is the 40th anniversary of Paul William Bryant's death. This happened in um, nah, eight, 18, excuse me. Uh, happened back in 1983. Uh, sad day for all of Alabama and, and the nation. Some other headlines. Alabama uh, held off a, a testy group of Bulldogs last night, 66-63 at Coleman. Auburn not so lucky at home. Lost their first game. Uh, they had a 28-game winning streak. They lost to Texas A&M, 79-63. They had much of the same problems that, um, that Alabama did uh, as far as shooting threes. Uh, Alabama was, I think, 17.9%, and I think Auburn was like 18% from the floor. And when you live by the three, that can shoot you in the foot and and then some. Uh, Other things going on, uh, the Cowboys have dumped, and Christian, I've never heard of a bloodletting or a black, what would it be, Thursday to this extent. They let go six assistants. Have you ever heard of something? That's just an incredible number. If they replaced a head coach, yeah, that that would make sense because normally, you know, you hire a head coach and he brings in his guys. So, unfortunately, the other guys are out the door with the former head coach. But retaining the same head coach and firing six people, that that's a high number. So they definitely are making some changes. They 
they feel strongly about how how things went, especially probably with this last game against the 49ers. So it appears they're, they're wanting to, to make some changes. They're going to give Mike McCarthy another shot, it looks like, but um, they're going to start with the assistance, it looks like. Jerry Jones, how much of that, how much of those firings were directed through McCarthy from Jones? Oh, man, I, I wouldn't even be able to tell you. I do know that, you know, Jerry Jones is very involved with his organization. Um, he calls a lot of the shots. He's he's very hands-on as an owner. So I'm sure he definitely um, plays a huge role. I don't, I don't know, you know, if it's him or if it's McCarthy. I couldn't tell you. Um, but I, I do know as an owner, Jerry Jones is very much involved. Yeah, no question about this. Uh, Joe Gaither, the uh, media program online director at our station where you are, Tide 100.9, just sent this text. I'm sure you've seen it too. want to get your reaction because you're, you're Carolina Panther. Um, Frank Wright is going to be named the new head coach uh, of Carolina. Um, he has a long history of coaching, and he was a pretty decent quarterback in the NFL. I wonder what the folks in Carolina are thinking about that, Christian. Well, um, there's probably, you know, some people that support it. Some people are kind of frustrated. I mean, you're never going to make everybody happy, number one. But um, I will say I think I remember them, you know, they were alluding to the fact they wanted an offensive coach, a guy that can kind of help, um, you know, you know, uh, revitalize that offense and kind of move toward that because a lot of people start uh, viewing that, football is more of an offensive game now you know it's kind of gone from the whole defense wins championships mindset to kind of like you know if we can score points we can win a football game um, so some people are taking that approach and it looks like the Carolina Panthers are taking that approach and I know I know they also mentioned wanting an experienced coach you just you just said that you know he's a very experienced guy so it, it seems like he fits their criteria um, so I, I had the pleasure of playing against uh, him. Uh, matter of fact, my, my last year I was uh, uh, doing uh, joint practices against the Colts in Indianapolis. Um, so I was around him um, for a few days on the practice field up there. And um, from everything I gathered and, and, and saw, he, he seems like a great football coach. Um, you know, he, he seems to know what he's doing. Um, he, the players seem to like him. Uh, at least, again, this is just from what I uh, experienced, you know, being on the practice field with him. But um, I wish him success. I hope he can, you know, help turn things around in Carolina. I, I feel kind of bad um, for uh, the, the interim coach. I can't even think of his name right now. But, uh, you know, he, 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 he took what he had in Carolina this past year and made the most of it. And I thought he did a, a great job um, for his circumstances. Um, but unfortunately, it seems like he's not going to get the nod. I know a lot of guys were fighting for him to be the uh, full-time head coach. Steve Wilkes, sorry. Um, he was uh, promoted to the uh, interim head coach this past season, and um, a lot of guys you know, rallied behind him, and they were advocating for him to be the next head coach at the Carolina Panthers. But unfortunately, he's not going to get that job. But uh, I do believe that other teams will take notice of the job that he did with that Carolina Panthers team who – somewhat turned things around after trading their best player in Christian McCaffrey and, um, you know, really just fire, firing the head coach in the middle of the year. You know, usually that's signs of disaster, but he, he managed to, if I'm not mistaken, win as many games as Matt Rule did in two years in like 11 or 12 games this past season. So um, I think he definitely deserves a shot. I hope he gets his shot. And um, I definitely will be keeping tabs on, on you know, Frank Reich with the Carolina Panthers because I, I think he will be um, a solid option for them. 
want to skip to the NFL draft, and um, we all know Mel Kuyper. Did you ever meet him, by the way? I mean, well, I don't know why you would, but uh, I've never met him either. I think I've he's seen so, him, but I don't think I've very, met him. Wouldn't you like to wear your hair like that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, he comes from uh, one of the boroughs in New York where that's very, very fashionable. Um, I think kind of the rest of the world goes, what What do you? Forget about <laughs> it. So, uh, anyway, uh, he is really good at the draft. You know, he, he nails it. Is he? But I saw his article last night. Yeah, well, I mean, he gets them right, but he also, in the process, hacks a lot of people off. Yeah. But uh, do you see who he has as his number one pick? Is it Jalen Carter out of Georgia? It is. Yep, it is. What do you think about that? Well, I, I'll be honest. I don't like these guys like Mel Kuyper that act like they have a crystal ball and just, you know, can – I know it's their job, but, you know, it's, it's kind of frustrating sometimes just seeing how they, they – I, again, I guess, I guess I can't criticize too much. It's their job. He's doing his job. But I don't know. I, sometimes I don't really like guys like this that, that think they know everything about every single player, and then they start trying to tell stories about guys where they don't even know what they're talking about. And I guess I'm kind of biased because I am a player. But um, it, my thoughts on, you know, him having Jalen Carter first, I, I mean – it's one of those things where, you know, you have a, a very physically gifted uh, defender um, who is extremely disruptive, uh, comes from a, a two-time winning championship program. Uh, it, it makes sense. You know, I think, was it last year, Georgia had the number one pick in, uh, is it Trayvon? Uh, yeah, Tra- Trayvon, I can't remember his name. Walker? Yeah, Trayvon Oh, Walker. the linebacker. Yeah, yeah the defensive oh. end uh, guy from Georgia. So I, I think it kind of it fits that narrative. Right, you know, a big physical guy out of Georgia who they feel you know can, um, you know, be a, a look. If you're a number one pick, you're expected to make an instant impact, and I think that's how they view this guy. They view him that, that you, if you draft him, you put him on your defensive line. This guy is going to be disruptive. You know, he's going to help you know hunker down um, and, and make your your defensive line stout. So, uh, I guess it really my thing is look. It all really depends on team needs, right? I mean, you really could pick five guys that could all be number one picks. If we're being honest, it just depends on what the team needs. They need if they need a quarterback, they'll go with the, the top quarterback. And funny enough, sometimes who Mel Kiper and these guys have as a number one quarterback, teams view as the number two quarterback. It all depends on the organization. And uh, there's a, there's a saying where it says it only takes one team to to to, to want you or to draft you, and it's so true because um, you know. You'll have a consensus, you know, of guys who are, you know, first round picks, right? But then after that, some teams will have you graded as a second round pick. Some teams will have you graded as low as a sixth round pick. I know I was graded as as high as a second round pick, even with all my injuries. And then also as low as I had one team call and say, they were just, you know, telling me how much they like me. Then the scout literally goes, yeah, man, we're just really hoping we can get you to sign as an undrafted fridge. And I was like, excuse me? I'm like, what? Whoa. Right. Um, Do you mind? T- come on, peel peel it back. Who was it? You mind telling us? You don't have to. No, I'll tell you. It was your team. Damn it! It was the Green Bay Packers. They uh, they. they oh man, you would have looked so good a forty-seven in green and gold. Yeah. Oh my, I'm upset. Yeah, no, nah, they were cool. Like I said, they were really cool on the phone and whatnot. And uh, I, I, you know, Clay Matthews was one of my favorite players growing up. And so obviously, you know, you think when I think of Clay Matthews, I think of Green Bay, and. Uh, you know, like I said, everything was going good, but when he threw out the, the undrafted free agent card, I was just kind of confused, and I, I didn't mean to, you know, come off as, you know, cocky or, or, you know, vain, but I just was like, I'm literally having teams tell me they plan on taking me in the second or third round, 
with my injury. So I'm like, <laughs> I get, you know, I have a torn hamstring right now, but I'm like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> so I just remember I was like, yeah, I'm gonna get off this phone call. <laughs> but yeah, that was your team, <laughs> the Green Bay, the Green Bay Packers. Oh, well, I still love them, but I don't like that story one dang bit. And you're right, Clay Matthews was a baller. Now. Oh man, he goodness, oh. he could just do it all, man. I, tell I me what, him. tell me what, what made him great? Oh, just I mean, he could do everything, and he just played like like his hair was on fire. Literally, he had a long flow hanging out his helmet. But you just watch him. I just remember, you know, even like in his rookie year, I mean, this guy was like playing edge, right? But he was getting interceptions and like returning them and just making guys. He just he just was so explosive and just so dynamic, right? You know, and then when you watch him pass rush, uh, it was a thing of art. You know, he just always was – he was just so disruptive. He was – he used spin moves, you know, beat guys with a, a nice, you know, chop dip rip. He just had an arsenal of moves, and he just was all over the field. They lined him up everywhere. They'd mug him in the A-gap. They'd run a lot of stunts with him. They'd bring him on simulated pressures, and uh, he was just so much fun to watch. And I remember for the longest time, he was one of my favorite guys to watch uh, growing up. Clay Matthews, man. I just always looked for 52 with the Green Bay Packers. You see that flow hanging out the helmet? <laughs> and he was just yeah. always on go, you know, and hitting guys. I mean, he was so versatile. I mean, he was even, he was he even could stack back. I mean – and that's kind of, you know, my dad always told me, you know, you're, you're an outside linebacker, but you're athletic enough to, you know, move around and stack and, and walk out and play on number two receivers. So um, I kind of used to try to model my game after him. He definitely was one of my favorites. And I got to play against him my rookie well, year, actually. I played against He was uh, with the Los Angeles Rams, and I was with the Carolina Panthers. The first game uh, of the regular season in 2019, we played the Rams. They came to Carolina, and uh, I got to play against him, which was so cool. That's that's awesome. I want to dive into some of the other guys you played against, but we may have to save it for another day because coming up we will uh, welcome into the show Mick Gillespie uh, from his boat on the Gulf Coast. I don't know exactly where he is. He could be at the Florabama again. Just don't know. But uh, we will talk a lot of Alabama and others as uh, we continue here on Big Noon Sports. More Big Noon Sports coming up. Want to know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today. Football is back, and no one does it better than the sportsbook at Golden Moon Casino. This season, you can watch the games with nothing on the line. Boring. Clear with the low at 29. Tomorrow is sunny day, the high 55, and for Saturday, partially sunny with a high at 59. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 48 degrees in Tuscaloosa. As the son of a son of a sailor, I went. Out on the sea for adventure Expanding the view of the captain and crew By 9.30 this morning, people had already begun to line the street beside Bryant-Denny Stadium. They waited patiently, in silence, to pay their last respects to the men they had grown to love and respect. By the time the funeral procession had gotten to... There you have it. That was actually me. Uh, filing my report on the day of Paul Bryant's death. Actually, it was a couple of days later. Uh, that was during the funeral procession, which uh, went right by Bryant-Denny, right by the football complex, right by the hospital where he passed away on January 26, um, 1983. I pause every time I read the year because that's 40 years ago, my friends. 
So uh, it was a monumental day for me personally and for Alabama fans and college football fans across the world. Um, it was uh, it was very, very difficult on, on a guy like me. I'll be very honest with you. Uh, but we persevered. And uh, Channel 13 and my buddies up there on the Hill did a great job. Joining us now, talk a little bit about Coach Bryant, some football, some basketball. Might even talk about the Chicago Cubs. You never know. Mick Gillespie uh, joins us. Mick. How are things down south uh, on the Gulf Coast? Yeah, not not too bad. I, I thought that was pretty cool hearing your uh, report from so long ago. You know, and it's funny how, you know, it, it seems like a long time ago, but it also seems like yesterday. You know, it's weird how certain events in life kind of stick with you for your entire life, and that's definitely one. What do you think of when somebody mentions Paul Bryant? Well, a few things. First off, like, I think of a guy who was larger than life, you know, like the, the way that he treated people. When, when you travel throughout the state and you go into different spots and someone will come out from behind, the, you know, you're at a restaurant, a barbecue restaurant, and somebody will come out and they find out you do sports and they'll say, hey, you know, Bear Bryant used to come in here all the time. And it's a rinky-dink place in the middle of nowhere, you know. And, or, you know, someone, you know, their grandmother was a nurse and she knew, you know, Coach Bryant. And he touched a lot of lives. You know, people really liked him. Like, he was a, he was a good guy and a, had a great personality. And I think the other thing is just the uh, the legacy that he left at Alabama. Alabama was always great at football. But, you know, I mean, and, and it goes back way before you know, Coach Bryan, obviously, Wallace Wade, Frank Thomas, you know, winning back in the 20s. But when he took over, he elevated it to the level that we see right now. You know, the crazy thing is we're living through one of the best dynasties in the history of college football. And uh, in, in this weird way, we've kind of done this before, you know, and it started with Coach Bryant. Um, he's one of the Mount Rushmore of college football coaches. I've got a, um, a pavilion, a little pavilion thing in my backyard, and it's got a license plate of uh, Coach Bryant's win over Auburn, you know, his last Iron Bowl. And, and every time I look at it, it came from my wife's grandmother's house when she passed away, and it, it's cool. And I just think of, like, all those stars back in, like, the 80s riding around with that bag, you know, <laughs> Coach Bryant. I look at him every day. Mick, I want to shift gears but a basketball for a minute. What were your thoughts on the game last night versus Mississippi State? I, I knew Mississippi State wasn't going to win the game, even when they were up by 10. Um, and I've watched basketball, college basketball, for a long time. And it's hard for, for teams to get up for every single game. Bama played sloppy. You know, Quinterly was, uh, you know, up and down, made some good plays, made some bad plays. They didn't handle the basketball well. But what's different about this team is that in years past, this is a game you might lose. I never thought for a second that they were going to lose. And then Brandon Miller's block was amazing. I mean, like that was, but that's what he is. I mean, he's just a difference maker. Um, what, what's really exciting about this team is that they can beat you even when they're not playing their best basketball. So. Sloppy performance. The other thing I thought, and I've been critical of, of, of our fans in the past for not supporting the basketball team, 
But the, this this team's got everyone's attention. I thought the crowd was great. Uh, the uh, the environment was fun to watch. It, the, you know, I told you guys. I think the arena stinks. They need a new one. But uh, it was it had that big time atmosphere last night, and uh, I, I was excited about seeing that too. I love this team. Yeah, uh, and by the way, I appreciate you pointing out that block. Because did Miller got it with both hands, didn't he? Gone up, got and, the ball and, with the right, and I think he got it with the left. Yeah, it, it reminded me in this, and, and I, you talk about being old. I, I remember Michael Jordan. Obviously, uh, he's the greatest. He is the goat, by the way. And and I, I agree. late in his career, he was with the Wizards. And um, you know, and I'm from up there, and Wizards are my team, you know, and. Uh, he had gotten schooled on one side of the court, and the guy was going down the other end, and Jordan pulled that same block. <laughs> I was like, man, you know, how does somebody do that? And then, and then Miller yesterday, and I'm watching that, and it's the first thing I saw though was uh, was Michael Jordan making that block as a wizard. You know, I, every time you, you watch Brandon Miller, and what I like about him is he makes. Like, you know, kind of like Michael Jordan. I'm not saying he's Michael Jordan by any means, but he makes everybody better. You know, even when he's not scoring. But then, but then last night he just did a couple of things where you're watching and you're going, man, that play. And then he had that other three where he was in the corner. And I don't even like it, it, he he shot the ball so fast and was covered and was moving and wasn't even in position. And he hit that three, and that was kind of the. It, your night's over, Mississippi State. That that shot was kind of like it. You, you got close, and um, you know, be proud of it. But you're done. Mick, would you agree that uh, the game last night, even though it was a tough challenge for the guys, um, that it really could be a good opportunity for them to grow and get some experience in, in terms of handling pressure and, and coming back. Um, when being down, would you agree in that? Or, or, or are you kind of one of those guys who are starting to become a little skeptical and, and, and um, criticizing uh, their performance last night? No, I'm, like, I'm not skeptical at all. It's, I mean, they've got Oklahoma coming up on the road. They've got Tennessee. You know, they've got a bunch of really tough games ahead. And Mississippi State, remember, they had a really good start to the season. Yeah, they won all their, pretty much all their non-conference games at the beginning, right? And then they lost to Alabama. Uh, I think that they're a little bit better than their record shows. But those are tough games. I mean, even great teams have nights where they're not up all the way. And, and you just have to, you know, figure out how to survive. At the end of the day, you you, you got to beat teams like North Carolina and Houston on the road, and you got to win those games against Kentucky, and, and you know, they got a big game up against Tennessee, they got two against Auburn. I mean, they got some really big games coming up. But when you're not at your best and you figure out a way to get it done, I, I mean, and there may be more like this before it's all said and done. You're not going to bury everyone like they did LSU. But uh, I'm not concerned. You know, this team's been through a lot already on and off the court obviously and um it's a special group they got the best coach that they could possibly have i just think it's going to be a lot of fun watching them and i think it's musty tv christian brought the point up earlier in the show that that that's good that was good for alabama they, they kind of needed to come up come up 
What am I trying to say? Come, Come from up, behind. Up. <laughs> How about yeah, that That one, too? Um, hey, Mick, can you stay through the break? Yeah, sure thing. All right. Uh, we will get around to asking the question that everybody's asking and tired of asking. We'll get to the coordinator situation in just a moment. This is Big Noon Sports with Lars, Matt, and Christian. Hi, it's Chris Stewart, wishing you a happy new year from Townsend Honda. The new year brings new Hondas. Come pick out a new Accord. We have 20 new Honda Accords in stock. Plus, shop the best. At the Bama Breeze, you can shoot some pool down there. Okay, class. You can what time is it there. in Tuscaloosa? You can play it cool down it's, there. <laughs> it's Nick Saban time. I mean, he operates on his own clock. And that's the situation with naming a, a new offensive and defensive coordinator. Nick's recruiting right now. He's got other things. I'm sure he's working on it. We all know that. But it's also taken a while, and while it was good fodder for talk radio for a while, Mick, it's gotten terribly old. So I'm not going to ask you who you're hearing, who's this, who's that. I just want to know, here's Mick Gillespie, and he is sitting in the ivory towers in Tuscaloosa. He's Greg Byrne. Just give me the two guys you'd hire. Well, look, I've told you guys before, and I, and I hope it turns out this way, but I would love to have Jeremy Pruitt back. Uh, I'd love to have that attitude on defense that he brings, his ability to scheme up a, a, a defense. I'd love to have him back. You know, So if it was me, that's where I would start uh, with Jeremy Pruitt. And then offensively, uh, maybe Will Levis. You know, he's someone that worked under Lane Kiffin. He, he, you know, he thought it was going to be a great – you know, homecoming at Oklahoma didn't really work out that way. He'd have a lot of tools in the toolbox uh, as Alabama's offensive coordinator, you know. But there's been this trend towards the NFL guys, um, you know, maybe Cliff Kingsbury, who I'm, I'm kind of hoping that isn't Cliff. But, but you know what, maybe I'm wrong. You know, I mean, he comes in and does a great job. But I, I would probably say if it was me, I would. those, those are the two guys, Levis and uh, Pruitt. All right, who's your second option? If Pru is not available, who are you going with, Mick? <laughs> good question. Oh, man, I, I don't know. You know, that's a good question. I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of hoping if he's not, they don't let him do it or he's not available. Uh, I don't know. You know, I mean, we've heard a lot of different names, but I, I guess I've just been so set on having to go to Pruitt back. I've just really kind of been focused there. Who do you like besides him? That's a great question. Uh, I'm not too sure. I mean, my, my thing is I'm just so strongly uh, on on to Pruitt just because, you know, I played for him. You know, I love his passion and his energy. He's a player's coach. You know, I I think back to the, the times we're in meetings and, you know, he's borderline tearing up talking about how passionate and then just how sentimental these games. Specifically, I'm thinking back to we were about to play Tennessee and he just was talking mm -hmm. about – how meaningful this game is to the people in this state. And I think a guy like that, you combine that with um, his intensity and, and how he demands that from his players and he gets it out of his guys. Um, I think that's exactly what we need. I think that is the, the type of, of leader that you want on your defense um, to establish that dominance that we're used to seeing around here. Um, so he's definitely first on my list, but 
I don't necessarily know a second name. I, I would like somebody like Glenn Schumann, but I just don't think that's a real possibility. I think he's going to stay around at Georgia. But um, some someone who just – look, I'll be honest. I, I think whoever it is, they just need to be a fiery guy who's a great leader and who is willing to, to come here and, and enforce that standard. You know, I, I think that's just important. You know, I think sometimes, you know, nowadays we feel like – you can't be as tough on kids just because, you know, things are different nowadays. But I'm all for an old school coach. My high school coach was an old school coach. He coached like Coach Saban. You know, he would chew us out, get on us, grab our face mask. And then, you know, Coach Saban's a very uh, stern, disciplined coach. So I, I like those type of coaches because I feel like they get the most out of their players. So whoever they hire, I hope it's one of those coaches that's really going to uh, demand that from their guys and really get us back to playing that, that you know, intense level of football. Yeah, I agree. I see it the same exact way. Mick, um, I guess it was right after the Texas game, and Christian and D.C. and I were doing a pregame show there in Tuscaloosa. And that's the first time anybody had mentioned, but Chris, Christian was bold enough to step out there and kind of say, you know, I don't, I don't see enough dogs. And I think that's an exact exact quote, Christian. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... Did did you notice uh, maybe a lack of intensity, particularly on defense with Alabama this past season? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, if I hadn't seen the last two games, I probably would say, you know, I didn't notice it. But then when I saw the way they played the last two, really the, the middle of the Ole Miss game and then the last two games, they brought this intensity that wasn't there at the beginning of the year. Uh, you know, maybe they played a little scared. You know, I, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, like, it. I don't know football like Christian knows football. I I know it like as a you know someone that watches on television that's been around it for a long time. Um, I'll you know when I was working with Mike Johnson, you know, who played in the NFL and played at Alabama, you know, I'm watching and I'm saying, hey man, we're not blocking at the offensive line, you know, like no, it's because the linebacker, you know, I mean, excuse me, the. Uh, fullback missed a block or the running back or whatever, you know? So like when I, when I see it, you know, I wonder sometimes like, am I seeing it the same way as someone like him, you know, or Christian, but I, I honestly, I felt like we were a little bit slow sometimes at linebacker and it felt like we, you know, we got a pass rush some and sometimes we didn't. Um, you know, maybe the defensive line could have got a little more push at the beginning of the year. And then the other thing, and I, you know, especially in that LSU game, uh, it just felt like every time the quarterback ran, we just didn't have an answer for it. And I don't know who you, what specific spot you put that on, but, you know, like the touchdown in, the, in, in, in overtime, it's just not something that we see a lot at Alabama or hadn't seen in the past. And it's kind of had been growing, you know, over the last couple of years. So, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, what, what makes a dog – compared to, you know, someone that's not. Um, I, I, I don't always know the answer to that, but I will tell you that the intensity that they had at the end of the season, had that been the way that they played from day one, I think they would have beaten Georgia at least once this year, maybe twice. Yeah, that's funny you say that, Mick, because I, I was saying this on a podcast that I do with my dad, uh, called the Miller's Edge. I was saying... I almost wonder if the reason we saw them play the way they played against Kansas State was because at this point in the season, you know, there was really nothing to lose anymore. 
And, you know, mm-hmm. they've mentioned, you know, having that anxiety about, you know, the Tennessee game and, again, not anxiety about playing them, but just, you know, the stakes of that game and, you know, not, you know, not wanting to lose the game. And it's almost like you look, you, you look at them against Kansas State and they, they're out there and they're playing how they should be playing. They're, they're flying around the field. They're forcing turnovers. They're having fun, right? They're playing physical. They're playing with energy. You see them on the sidelines like everybody's, you know, you know, it, it looks like what we're used to seeing, dominating your opponent and having fun doing it. And yeah, I was almost thinking in my head, I'm like, it's almost as if that anxiety is just gone because it's like, hey, this is the last time we're playing together. You know, we're not going to focus on the draft right now. We're not going to focus on the guys in the transfer portal. We're just going to embrace each other for one last time because it's the last time all of us will play together and we're going to have fun doing it. And that's what they did. So I agree with you. I think that's the biggest thing they need to do going forward is to trust their process and, and be confident in, in themselves and their abilities and just go out there and do it and have fun. And, um, that, and that, that's what I think um, the next coordinator on both sides of the ball should bring. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think that's a lot of good stuff, Mick. you got a lot, a lot of good stuff to offer. I, I want to ask a, a, a quick question about Coach Saban. How long do you think he's going to stay around for? Now, obviously, I don't see him going anywhere else, but if you had to guess, how, how many more years are we going to get out of Coach Saban? I know. We talk about this all the time, you know, trying to figure out at, uh, you know, BamInsider.com, you know, and on three, you know, we, when, when guys get together and we talk, you know, how long is Saban going to be there? First off, he doesn't look like he's in his 70s. He, 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 look, he still looks young. Um, I don't think he's got the same fire that he had when he first came. He's just a lot nicer. <laughs> At least mm. he comes off that way, you know. But that, part of that, too, is, I mean, he's like a grandfather now, you know. So, uh, you know, maybe that changes you a little bit. But I, I don't I, – honestly, I've talked to Chris Lowe about this, too, and – Chris thinks he can coach into his late 70s or into his 80s. And I think that I, I could see that. You know, I could see that. I, this would have been a good year if you were d- kind of done with it to say, you know what, I'm not going to change my coordinators. I'm just going to be okay with we won 10 games and all that. But that's not what we're getting. We're getting, you know, hey, it's it, the standard is it hadn't been met and it's not good enough. You're talking about a team that lost – um, and with all the problems lost on two last-second plays where they didn't get a chance to get the ball back and respond. You know, so they, they, they barely lost. And and here we're seeing all this change because of the standard that Nick Saban has created. So he's still holding himself to the same standard. I mean, so I'm going to go with Chris's answer and say late 70s, early 80s. That's another decade. Well, you know... Uh... Bowden and Paterno did it. Others have done it, and uh, Bowden and Paterno were pretty much successful all the way until just a couple of years at the very end. Hey, I'm going to let you go, but I want to ask you a question. It just popped in on my brain. Uh, you have followed Alabama football since I, I imagine you were a child. Uh, name four or five of the guys you just really liked. Your, your favorite players at War Crimson. Tyrone Prothrow was my, one of my favorites. You know, he played on a team that, you know, that, that they were bad and then they got good. And I hated to see the way that he got hurt, but he's one of my favorite guys. I just always loved watching him. Javi Arenas, because he could do so many things on the field. I like watch. I like those guys that can return the kicks to the house and, uh, you know, and then they play a position. Uh, um, Tua, I, I love Tua. 
I love Tua on the field. I love Tua off the field. There's just something special about that guy as a person. Um, you know, Jay and I were, were doing our show one time, and his parents came by and saw us. Uh, I thought they were great people. And uh, who's my other one? Uh, I'm going to say this guy just because he's one of, one, of, one of my buddies, Baron Huber. You know, just like this. this watching him and um, the game against Utah when Alabama was losing, and he got <laughs> he's a fullback and got that kickoff, and he's running down the field. You know, the, the energy that he always played with uh, and the, the love that he had for Alabama football. But, man, I could sit here and do this. I mean, there are so many guys that Alabama has. You know, I, I saw Aaron Stoltz had put this story out where he was talking about, hey, Alabama doesn't retire numbers, but they ought to retire uh, Will Anderson's number. And I'm like, come on, man. You, you can't. Like, there's a, there's a 70 guys in the NFL right now. You know, like, there, yeah. if you retired numbers at Alabama, man, you wouldn't have any numbers to play with. You know, <laughs> like, there's so many guys. And, and that's how I feel about uh, uh, about this question. I mean, I could sit here, you know, Stedman Sheely. I mean, I could go all the way back. You know, Jay was awesome when he was uh, at Alabama, Antonio Langham. You know, that team, which was so special as a kid, watching them come out of nowhere. Uh, you know, I always loved Trent Richardson, you know, like the way that he ran the football. And um, But you, you, you got me. We could do a whole podcast on this. We're going to do the, the next time we bring this topic up, we're going to be on your boat. Okay? Yeah. I mean, uh, like, guys, uh, we can sit here and talk about this all day. Uh, which I, I will throw one back at you as we go to break. And uh, that's, I don't know if Alabama ever had a more electric player than David Palmer. No. The deuce is loose. I know. Good. I forgot great. Hey, tell us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. He just is. He, he was, you never knew what was going to happen, but usually, uh, 90% of the time, it was something really, really good and something you weren't likely to see ever again hey, in DC, your football. Life. I got to throw Derek Thomas in there. I, I mean, like, I forgot him, but number, oh, yeah. number two, right after Tyrone Pro throw, DC. Finally, a defensive. All right, I'll throw make... Christian Miller in there. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Christian Miller. Love him, too. <laughs> hey, tell us where people can follow you, Mick Gillespie. Uh, yeah, check me out on uh, Bama Insider, on the Bama Insider YouTube channel. i got a show Monday Night Quarterback. Tuesday, I do a recruiting show with Bone. we got all kind of stuff going on constantly on the site. Uh, we're updating anything going on with Alabama. So as these coordinators come in, we find out who they are. We'll have videos on that, uh, transfer portal stuff, recruiting. All that at FamInsider.com. Great stuff. Mick, thank you very much. Hey, guys. Put your toes in the sand. I will. All right. Um, I have an assignment. You've got about four minutes to do it. It's not going to take long. But if you're listening, don't do this while you're in the car because you don't need to text or try and uh, surf the Internet while driving. But all of the guys that are on this uh, program right now, I want you to Google... Uh, DoorDash basketball. DoorDash basketball. And look what happened in the Duquesne Loyola of Chicago basketball game last night. It's quite entertaining. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. 
This is Big Noon Sports. Want to know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today. Hey, Pete, how's business? It's great. Foot traffic's still way down, but more people are finding me online. Nice. How'd you pull that off? Well, the first thing I did was go clear with the low at 29. Tomorrow is sunny day, the high 55, and for Saturday, partially sunny with a high at 59. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 49 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Officials timeout. Somebody came on the floor on the far side. Looking for an Uber Eats delivery or something there is carrying some McDonald's. Oh, this has to be one of the all-time. I, I'm rates. actually not kidding. No, I, no, I this think, is the truth. I think that's what's happening. Skies in the corner looked like he was he gonna deliver the, the McDonald's to somebody on the court? Can we rule that out? He's a <laughs> I mean I think that's an Uber Eats sticker. Is that what that is? I'm trying to get confirmation. Uber Eats, yes. Maybe I'll put my hand up. I'm getting a little hungry. You can bring it over here. So we saw the stoppage. The, the man was usher. Let's see if we can see this. Now, this is going to be the turnover. The there, he there, 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 there he is. There he is. Quarter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this guy's actually, who's he delivering it to? The ref. The, the, the ref official. said later. Give it to me later. Not now. Philip Alston's done a lot. I didn't think he needed a Big Mac for sustenance in the middle of the game. I know, but I'm not well, the official out there, Tim. He, he distanced him like, I didn't say now. Later. That's got to be unbelievable. That's got to be something that the highlight. It's just hysterical. Even the audio. But have you seen the video? Uh, DoorDash, Uber, I don't know, Lyft. Guy cuts the corner while Duquesne and Loyola are playing a basketball game. And he has a McDonald's sack in one hand, as, as you can hear from the announcers there, and a drink in the other. And he just strolls across the court like he's walking into a neighborhood knocking on a door. It was later uh, revealed that the guy had a mic on. He was wearing a wireless mic. It was all a prank, which I think actually kind of takes a little bit away from it. But I don't know. Uh, it was quite entertaining, and uh, it has gone viral. And, in fact, it was uh, it was in the first segment of ESPN Sports Center this morning. So, anyway, Christian, have you seen the video? It's hysterical. I just watched it. That, that's exactly where my mind went when I first was watching it. I said, this has to be one of those YouTube pranks where, you know, they, they do something to kind of just shock everybody like i saw there's one guy on youtube who's who's famous for doing these things and he was getting a live haircut in the middle of a basketball game like he had a barber Gideon. standing behind yeah Gideon. he was at he had a barber standing behind him cutting his hair like he had the cape over him and everything like right near courtside in the middle of a basketball game so stuff like that I, i'm not gonna lie, i think it's funny but i i knew as soon as, as soon as i saw it i was like there's no way this guy it's just that clueless that he's walking on the court with, <laughs> with his food delivery. <laughs> you know, I think they're you know, funny. Think, you I can think Mark Cuban even reached out to him. Oh, Mark Cuban's going to hire him. Saying, hey, Mavericks, we want to have some eyes on us. And he knew that his son was a huge fan of his YouTube channel. So he said, hey, we're going to come in. We're going to act like you're actually getting the cut. I don't think they had any hair actually hit the court. But no one could actually see that if you're watching on TV. Yeah, they shot it bust up, right? 
Wait, okay. Um, you know, I, I think uh, as long as it remains relatively, or actually as long as it remains harmless, um, I, I think this is kind of funny. Um, I used to think that uh, Morgana, nobody's going to remember this. Anybody remember Morgana? There's your, there's your assignment for tomorrow. Everyone online right here with Big Noon Sports needs to Google Morgana. And when you do, you'll go, wow. I'm, I'm not going to go any further than that. Uh, if you're my age, you're certainly going to remember Morgana. So will Pete Rose and George Brett. So that's all I'm going to give you on that. But it was, I, I think I was kind of with you, Christian. I went, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, he is being far too obvious here. And, by the way, who is going to courtside DoorDash? I don't know. There are probably people that would do that. Um, uh, do you DoorDash? Let me just go to, as we're winding up the last couple of minutes, do you DoorDash, Christian? Uh, not 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 often, but sometimes when I was on the road, um, you know, we'd be in the hotel. I'd DoorDash, like Chipotle to my hotel room, stuff like that. Um but yeah, every now and then it's definitely useful. But I don't, I don't do it too often. Um, how about you, Josh? Do you DoorDash, or you just run around the corner and you go to Taco Bell? Whenever I was in Tuscaloosa, Crimson to go. That was a DoorDash. Tell me more about Crimson to go. I'm sure Christian knows about it. Oh, I yeah. don't. So you can pull up any of the local restaurants. I believe they have about 25 plus right now, but I think they have a similar service in Birmingham here. It's only local restaurants, like I said. So yeah. any, it's like DoorDash. They hire a driver, you tip him. They don't pay the driver. They get paid only off the tips. And so if you're a driver, I wouldn't recommend, but if you're trying to get some food really quick, if you're at work or if you're, let's say at class, you're about to get out, you can get around the quad, Crimson to go. I don't think I've ever used it in my life. It's all high uh, dollar. All high dollar. Yeah. What what percentage? Let's say an item is ten dollars. How much do you pay for it on DoorDash? Josh, tell me. Well, on DoorDash, they might give you where well, there's no. There's some of the deals that you can get with none. There's some that you might have five ninety nine. Seen deal learn how to chicken. What's that? As it goes, restaurant chain. That for chicken tenders? Oh, really? To, to go delivery? <laughs> we got to get out of here. Hey, what a great show. Thanks, Christian. Talk to you all tomorrow. This has been Big Noon Sports. Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? Ah, starting trouble. No one likes that. We'll get you set up for some stronger starts. 